Hi, I'm Becca Thompson, and welcome to Becca Thompson Storytime. I decided to start this Storytime podcast because of the fact that I have a background and a love of stories. And every time I'm at my father's cabin, I see stacks and stacks of books that I periodically like to go through. And I find some interesting and strange tales. There's one I'd like to share with you now. It may take a while. It's several, several volumes, but I found it to be quite interesting. It is called The True and Apt Tale of the Warriors by Dr. Yonami Prudence True. I'll start reading and make one episode each chapter. Hopefully we can figure it out together. Let's start, shall we? Dear reader, we don't always know the part that we play in the stories we live until the end, despite the strange knocking on our psyche from the start. As it pertains to Evelyn and the cycle she came to fathom, this is my piece. And I have chosen to tell it as truthfully as I can, for I too have learned since the occurrence, and perhaps one day she will be telling my tale. The account is real and honest, but, as you will see, it cannot be proven to be true by its own nature. After hearing, be cautious, draw your own conclusions to the validity, and earnestly seek the, the, ver the veracity I strive to convey. For nowhere is truth more important than in the heart of your own soul. Sincerely yours, Dr. Yoanami Prudence True. True and Apt Tale of the Warriors. Prologue, the Genesis. The whole world was sadness. It dripped from the mountaintops and was exploding in the lava covering the valley. There certainly was no hope for mankind, let alone a sole woman amid the rock and loneliness. Yet as reality slowly faded back into her consciousness, Scout, was not aware of any of that. All Scout could see was black. All she could taste was the blood that was quickly filling her mouth. And all she could hear was the incessant ringing left inside her head that the blow from Gob, that red-eyed demon, had left her with. She struggled to stand. And as she did so, was made aware of the fact that her right eye would not open. She looked around. Gob and the broken seraphs had made their way back to Hammurabi in his position. Fairies was out there somewhere, too. And Scout was keen to take him down personally after the lifetime of torment he had put her through. She was doubled over in memory. Memory of her thousand lifetimes. Ruth was in her sights, and Jamie, and Yoanami, and Enoch, and Kit, and all the thousand children she had mentored in her million earthly days and the heavenly burden of knowing exactly how they had suffered was overtaking her. Yet she knew. She knew he would come. Daniel was breaking for the gate when she last left him. They were to reconnoiter there to expunge his mother from the black land. But Scout, of course, got sidetracked by Gob that ruddy rube of ancient grudges and callous uncertainty. 
It was Gob who kept her captive all those years. Gob who chased around Paige like a surface's minion. Gob, the shape-shifting warlord whose scout had insisted on fighting herself. Gob, who even still burned in her an anger of immeasurable temperature. Then she realized why her eye would not open. Gob had ripped it out. The events which led her to her nearly falling were revealing themselves as through a fog. The battle had started what seemed like days ago, and through the history of all history had spoken of it, it was still startling in her spirit that it was she, the prairie girl's daughter, who was to lead them all. She rallied the warriors as best she could. She led them as valiantly as she knew, but still she had not freed Paige, and she still had not vanquished Gob. Still there was hope, for he was coming. Gob had abandoned her position, it seemed, giving her up as a lifeless corpse, ever left to sink back to the dust. This was her second chance to get him and free Paige, for now... Her thoughts were ever consumed by her. Scout could feel the heat of battle beneath her in the valley below. The sky was awash with fire, and though the beasts had been brayed in the common time, in this dimension they were still renewed. Gabriel and Michael led the thunder in the battle of vengeance and eternity and coming. What Brial had done to them was personal and all of his wretched and stony followers were simply unreformed prodigal sons to the archangels. She looked above her and allowed the power of the living spirit to inhabit her. It was waning as the oppression and discontent of the depressed and depraved and the doubt was sinking all around her. Still, she knew that hope would come. He had promised. Not just in the holy books and ancient texts, but to her. Along the quiet of the riverbanks, in the depths of her dreams, she knew he would come. She rolled over to her stomach and pawed her way around the rocky floor to standing, searching all the while for the hilt of her sword. It could not be far. The very fibers of the steel seemed to be, by now, made one with her hand and arm. Slowly it all came back to her. The hilltops and the trees, and the stars raining down in defiance. How the eternity of men brandished steel and rock to free their comrades from the banks and bales of the hideous breed of deceivers. She blinked once, then twice. How she had been so precisely thrown so far from the rest of the action, she did not know or remember. But here she was, clinging to the outskirts of the desolate valley, alone, again. They were foolish to leave her to her own thoughts. Powerful she had become in the quiet. Their tortures had not defeated her once, and by going into the depths of their lair, she had a courage most of the others did not. She thought of Hammurabi. Where was he? As the ringing subsided in her ears, the place it held in her sense was taken over by the cacophonous reign of battle. And she once again found her zeal. Her thoughts were struggling to remain still. She had last seen Hammurabi at the gate, weeping uncontrollably as if he had seen a phantom. 
Edrin was somewhere down there as well, as was the full-statured Zib, and yet Scout, up on this ridge, was being filled with the greatest power of self-righteous rage. She had one task left in her before the demon seed would surely take the last of her wretched flesh, or before he came. And she paused for a beat, in her heart wondering what course she could take with what little strength remained in her. And the answer was clear. Page. Save Page. Though the pestilence still raged all around her, and the sky was filled with heavenly combat of angels and demons, Scout could no longer get herself to care for the masses. Their fate was one with hers now, and she discarded all concern from her being. Scout could think only of one thing. Get Paige out of the realm of the dead. She could not let her dearest friend stand entrenched there one more second. How and why she was there with the zombies of the discarded Scout didn't understand. But reason was no longer something that Scout judged. She only took what went before her and did what was asked of her in that moment. It was absolute trust. Paige was there. And the faceless man would give her the tools to get her out as surely as he would come. She looked to the sky once more. His arrival was imminent, but where? She felt her heart pinch, and that familiar cloud started to hover. What if I cannot? She slumped. If I cannot do it, perhaps he won't care. Perhaps he won't. She stiffened. She knew where this troubled thought came from. The deceivers were tricking her mind again. She could see nothing but black as she lifted her head, and even amongst the greatest and least of the warriors, she stood just shy of visibility. The gate to the dead land was many leagues off, and to gain vantage, she spied a sort of hope further up her slope, along an outcropping ridge that the majestic creatures, those glorious creatures long lost among the living world she had known, reborn here in this endless void, had finally vacated, taking their war to the sodden beings below in the valley, where Scout herself only recently stood. Clawing her way up the embankment, she tried to muster strength to fly. Her head was spinning and she felt herself clinging to the rugged earth. There was no reason to further expend herself for kicking. Her spirit was not light and the weight of the world was pushing on her again. She looked to the sky. Her time was slow. And though all eternity hung in the balance, she now found herself rushing and worried and fixated on her ethereal de deadline. It's coming. It's coming, she told herself repeatedly. If I don't get to Paige, she let her mind stop for the thought of what might follow was surely from the will of Satterall. If I don't get to Paige, will she be left behind? Will she be left in the desert place to rot? Her eyes darted to the sky, even as the blood pooled deeper and deeper into the lid of her left brow. It was so heavy now, it felt like she could lick it with her tongue, should she desire. He has to come. He said he would. He will. Despite the gnawing fear that was starting to take hold, brought there, she knew, by the ever-present demon seed fighting, even now, the rest of humanity, 
She knew that to rescue Paige, she must climb this ridge and sneak behind enemy lines into the caverns of the dead. There was a sort of unwritten code on that battlefront that day. Scout knew, should she enter the dead, she would become callous and wraith-like as they were. But she also hoped in her heart that to bring one out, they could become mortal once again. While she waited, she could set them free, set Paige free, set them all free. The world was heavy and she crumbled with every step. Were it not for her mind being filled with 20th century lore, she would have vanquished herself to her despair. But the words of her compatriots rang loudly in her and she knew she mustn't give up. Frodo didn't, she reminded. Frodo didn't give up and this is surely the pits of Mordor. She breathed heavily. That the darkness would not let his, her mind rest, it covered the land. But Frodo was a fiction, she remembered, his voice even in her head. He was an archetype, she shouted out of challenging her oldest foe, unseen but very real in her face always. John Foss was real. He wouldn't give up, she shouted. Deborah Fondell would not give up. Mark Bedard would not relent. Toy Perkins loved this through the sadness. They lived. They were real. They were here, even now, fighting. Scout stood straight, and though she could feel the syrupy blood ooze down the back of her throat from her wounded nose, she stood tall. They were here. They were fighting, even now. How could she forget such an elementary thing? She watched as their bones came back. She watched them all. David, Goliath, Mary, Deborah, Joan, John, Marcus, Luther, Muhammad. The list went on and on. She led them all to this place. She was Scout LaRue. And this battle was not over. He is coming, she shouted again to the sky. And a familiar laughter greeted her <laughs> on an unnatural wind. The rocks dug into her flesh as if they themselves had given over to the forces of evil. Surely this was his realm, the Dark One's realm, and he would cover every inch with his malice. Then, with an almost sense of purpose, a small slate of rock gave way beneath her and she slipped ever so slightly and with the slip tipped her head ever so lightly and she saw it through the midst of the eternal death and battle a golden tree the golden tree the marvelous mystery Scout stared at it and as a vacuum, all the rest of the place disappeared from her understanding. It set against the backdrop of death, living as if it was nourished by the sweetest waters of eternity. And she was before it. Suddenly, as if the tree itself willed the event, time utterly stopped and all scalp became was breath scout stared momentarily transfixed as if every 
morsel of her being, and every other being below was drawing her to approach the tree. It was powerful even as she stared at it. Take it. A voice seemed to whisper to her soul, Take it. She had been here before. But when? How? This moment had already happened. She knew in her heart. Like a cruel deja vu, but that wasn't possible. When other time could she have possibly been on the precipice of the end of the world? When else had she fought in Armageddon? By its very nature, the thought was impossibly foolish. Don't believe what you hear, the voice continued. Don't believe what you see. She was transfixed. She scaled the steep steps of the ridge toward the tree. She could see from here the massive swell of darkness overtaking the best of the warriors. Time had resumed, or had never ended. But for Scout, there was nothing more important than the tree. And though she heard them and could see them in the corner of her eye, nothing below mattered. Nothing above mattered. All that mattered was the tree. This tree, the tree. Poised against the rocks, she could hear Hammurabi's voice echoing off the battlements. Hold still, he will come. Glory to Shua, wait upon the white rider. But to Scout LaRue, the words were as empty as the lakes and the basins which once watered the land. She knew there was no hope in that war. The greatest hope was before her. She had seen this tree before. She knew this tree. This tree was her destiny. She reached for it and reached for it, yet didn't allow her hand to fully embrace the fruit. It was glowing. The tree was golden, truly golden. It had a strange fruit hanging from its limbs, the like she had never seen before. She examined for only a moment before her fierce hunger overtook her thought. Even in her new body, she could not wage such a battle and not feel the work's effect. She dug at the fruit with her claw-like fingers, raw and ravaged from war, and plucked it from the tree. She ate bitterly as the screams and cries from below magnified in her ear, and they pierced her heart. Is Lucy in that quagmire? She asked herself. Her mom? Her kid? And then she let her mind drift toward another. And where's my dad? What were these cries before? Had she not heard them? Was she not aware? Had she always been so focused on other things? Before she realized it, she had eaten it all the way to the core and sprang for another. And as she, a little rhyme entered her memory and a sort of song filled her heart. It was the one Grandma Kit had taught her many centuries before when Scout tended to her on that lonely road in the North Dakota Plains. If I go before I'm old, please, brother of mine, don't forget me if I go. And if I die before my time, please, sister of mine, please don't regret me if I die. Scout stopped and stared out over the battlefield, her eyes moist with memory. What had transpired since that day, since the day Grandma Kit told her to be strong, the day Grandma Kit said she'd never forget her, even when the others did. Indeed, she must be strong. 
She had been strong. She had endured so much and still she was here. And so was Grandma Kit. She knew it in her heart. And Grandma Kit would just be Kit, probably. Her own age, as she stood, 24, looking so anyway. She was out there somewhere, fighting with the others. And for yet again, Scout felt the loneliness of separation. Even in all that they had knew, all that was now revealed to them, it was again Scout alone who must enter the land of the dead. It was Scout alone who must find a way to down the tunnel into the meeting rooms of the keepers of evil. Scout shook and wished to tell Paige of her premonitions. But she knew that it was Paige. She needed to retract indeed. She impulsively grabbed a jagged rock on the earth's face and scratched into the face of the cliff that thing that Grandma Kit had told her so many times as a child. All things weak will be made strong. All things broken will be made whole. All things old will be made new. And all things dead and buried will rise again. End of prologue, part one. The Warriors, prologue, part two. She slipped to the side of her scratched letters, and exhaustion almost grabbed a hold of her. She knew she must not let it, but this never-ending fight had killed so much of her already. She couched her fears and stood. Yet even as she did so, a sudden reality struck her, struck her furiously. It was embedded, no doubt, in the very fibers of that fruit. Perhaps laced there from the beginning of time and it had finally and again released its juices to her blood. She considered the second piece still dangling in her hand. She dropped it as the thought hit her and the fear took her. For what she knew in that moment was utterly horrible. It was more horrific than watching her sister burn alive more horrible than watching her love crushed bone by bone, feeling her own skin fester with demon seed and decay for what she suddenly knew. She knew what she'd done. She knew who she was. She knew all things. And she was filled with a sudden and horrible fear. Her mind swooned. Help me, she begged. Help me! She hoped that if she could vomit out the remains of the fruit, the images of her mind would cease. The unending repetition of thoughts and emotions of guilt and fear would render themselves mute. No! She screamed out into the abyss the misery of her tones echoing off the sharp and empty rocks like a sine wave. She fell to her knees and buried her hand and her one eye into her ripped and ragged hands. Then a whisper laced itself upon the wind, a familiar voice in a familiar tone. Yes. I told you we belong together. I told you we were one. 
you only fought because you didn't really know who you are. No! She yelled aloud. For those willing to hear in the valley, even just able, No! No, I'm forgiven! Even this! Even me! And she knew that what she said was true, and she knew that all she'd seen and overcome was true, and what she had witnessed was only a precursor. She knew it was true, for he was coming! She looked at the sky once more. He was coming, he was coming, he was coming. You are a fool, Evelyn, the unnatural wind seized. You are a fool even now. Even at the beginning of your revelation, you belong to me. She clutched the hilt of her sword and stood once again. Stood tall, stood strong, and stood ferociously. She stood reborn. Never! She was determined that she would find Paige, and she would liberate her from the depths of hell if need be. She kissed her thumb, looked to the sky, checked every direction, and charged the downward slope of the abyss. The demon seed saw her with her alarm and readied for her approach. Gob was there once again along with many of the majestic creatures who had turned to fight for Usurpus and the rest of his red-eyed minions. She clattered and slashed her way through them. You shall not stop the power of the White Rider! Her fury knew no bounds. Either he would come or she would do the work for him. She would prove to them all she was born anew. She would make her mark for good, no matter how bad the scales had already been tipped against her. Paige! She called into the Deadlands. Paige! It's Scout! I'm here! I've not abandoned you! I'm coming! I'm coming for you! She cut down many of the foulest ghouls and wraith-like former humans. The zombie-like men's would not cut her path this day. Her hope was fueled all the more when the sudden and most joyously she found Max in Koning once again by her side. The Labrador swashled along her side, loyal as ever, and the lion bit back the foulest creatures to aid her coming to rescue her friend. Indescribable, she shouted out. You will not have this day! She yelled at the demons, so she struck them one by one. All creation! calls out to the master clockmaker. Tears were streaming down her cheeks. She made headway until she was face to face with Gob once again. His face was even more foul than she had remembered it. He smelled of rotting flesh and sulfur along with the foul stench of ever-present death. His beady red eyes were filled with rage as his goblin-like face perused hers. He licked his lips. You do not scare me, Gob. Her breath was quickened, but found foundation solid. He <laughs> laughed. Fearing me now is not necessary, for you will have all time to get used to it. And he lashed at her with his acidic tongue and green ringling fingers, but she was faster in an emotion, chopped off his head. Who has told the lightning bolt where it should go? The foul beasts fell back in fear and trembling and seemed to part ways at the once one as powerful as Scout. Who imagined the stars? Her sword melted in her hands from the strike, and she mourned it as a loss as a trusted friend, but still Max and Koning were by her side and she would make it to the gate. You have no power here! She glanced to the heavens once again. Hammurabi's voice had been silenced. Edrin's the same. Even the strongest and brave Tartanga Walker was not to be heard. The darkness was overtaking Michael and the other angels. Scout was alone. She searched for him. He has to come. He promised he would. She reached to the edge of the wall to the dead land. 
and there was no easy access despite taking the tree-lined ridge, clinging to the bars of its gate, were pages broken and emaciated hands. <sighs> Scout could not look at her, for Paige's form had become so gnarled and unrecognizable, her voice barely a faint hiss of what it once was. Scout did not know what evil creature cut out her tongue, but she was thankful that Paige recognized her at the least. I'm getting you out of here, Scout spoke to her oldest friend. I'm getting you out. Do you understand? Scout pulled at the bars and periodically saw the nubby fingers of her once elegant friend. I'm, I, I'm getting you out of here. Do you understand? Scout shouted as she yanked the gate. All the while, the stench of both the black land and the rotting corpses of the battle behind her. All... Paige spoke from the back of her throat and gently put her hand above Scout's, forcing Scout to do what she could not bear. She tipped up her head, and their eyes met. Paige's darkened and infected, Scout's missing and bloodied. Between the glance, all of memory passed between them. Neither woman had any saline left for tears, and Scout could barely hold the gaze, knowing that it was, perhaps, her own treachery which led Paige to this spot. The old friend stood there, very little but death surrounding them, and somehow mustered smiles. Smiles for childhood, Smiles for middle school basketball and prom. Smiles for marriage and moments, but mostly smiling because after so long, they both finally remembered. After so much searching and longing, they finally understood, and even hell itself could not take that from them. Though it would try... Suddenly, and very horribly, a very familiar chuckle was behind them. <laughs> Shall I buy flowers for the ceremony? He mocked before his laughter took hold. It's over, he laughed. All that's left to do is take your rightful place by my side. She would not turn, but she knew who was there. He continued. Do you remember those first moments? <laughs> Are you too fought over me? <laughs> His laughter turned into frantic and hideous giggles. Did you even assume for one moment <laughs> your folly? <laughs> he banged his hand against the gate and Paige lost hold of Scout's hands, taking a fearsome step back to him into the darkness. For even in the land of the loss was safer than next to him. You. Both of you.
always thought you were so smart. One step ahead. Scout stared at the darkened space that Paige once held as her rage boiled within. Hammurabi was easy, the viper continued. He wanted me to come. He'd been waiting for me to take him since we were children at the first age. But the boy, the boy Edrin, <laughs> the vicious voice laughed. He was a little trickier. He wouldn't believe me when I told him what you'd done, the both of you. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Scout could hear his steps grow closer even if she stared at the wall before her. The screams of death-filled creatures on the other side, nearly consuming the voice of her oppressor, but still, she could hear him clearly. He was a fool. You should know, dear Evelyn, that the parting of his soul was no less violent than the parting of his body. So more so, I'd say. Some people just never learn. The scout shook her head, and though doubt crept slightly into her mind, she still searched for the skies. Face it! You've lost! He's not coming! And you are the last of a dying breed. And suddenly, the voice and its owner were directly behind her, lips to her neck, yet she did not turn. He breathed deeply, trying once again to summon her. I still desire you, Scarlet. You're so beautiful. He smelled again her hair and stroked her blood-crusted hair. You are the first one of your kind. He kissed her neck, and the intrusion felt as unwanted to her as any such thing in the whole world. Turn to me, and I'll give you one more chance. He forced her to turn and kissed her on the mouth, waving his hand over her face at the same time, healing her body of its wounds, turning her again to the 24-year-old beauty that she long was. She pushed away violently. Be with me, he reminded, and I will even let your friend go. Scout's tears had long been spent, or so she thought. But at the mere implication of Paige's freedom, she found herself standing at the edge of the end of the world, and the saline would not leave her eyes now any peace. And still, they searched for the sky. Ah, uh, please. Ah. Uh -huh. And the foul creature before her put his grubby red hand to her cheek and wiped the tear. You will not cry when I am your master. She pushed him away. But despite her faith and the truth she knew, despite her knowledge and power, she was fading to despair and fatigue. Max came to her and licked her hand, and Scout pitted him, and she knew. There is a day, she started quietly, which has been spoken of since the first breaths of time. The demon seed hissed at her, but quieted to listen, for Evelyn Scarlet had not been reborn without purpose, without cause for darkened respect. It has been prophesied, and it has been written of, 
in the poetry of all the languages of men. Scout could feel the weight of the gate to the dead land behind her. Perhaps even Paige could still hear her, her voice emboldened at the thought. It is a day of battle, she spoke louder, and of darkness, a day of hope and tranquility. She pushed away from the grill of the gate and stood before its inhabitants as a protector, even still, from those who would plunder it. It is a day that has been preached about, and the tongues of angels have hearkened it, and it is to be precious and horrible. Scout could taste the tears falling down her cheeks, even as her eyes still darted toward the fallen sky. And today is that day. And she was sobbing. And your end, she turned to all the horrid scepters of the deep, is now. The darkness opened, and the wrath of generations came firing down, and coning, coning her protector, the beast that she first wore as a garment of warmth, who became her trusted friend. He would not let Neserpa stand. He would not let Brielle go without notice, and he, even he, the greatest beast who had protected Edrin, and she would not let her words go without answer. He would not let his foul would-be man before them stand. He lunged with all of his king of cats strength and started ripping at the neck of Scout's leering opponent, Scout took the opportunity to join the fight again with a scream of Villaha! She scratched, she dug, she hit, she bit, she opened her hands to the heavens and rained down lightning upon this beast of a man. She brought the winds and the rain, she brought fire, and she summoned all that she was to the heavenly realm to fight. The man returned fire with the foul beast, jaws of iron and heads of steel. The demons clawed out from the land of the dead, and Scout and the last of her band of warriors were soon overwhelmed. In the swarm, she was sure she heard the yelp of the last of Max. And the growls of Coning had also been silenced. As a half dozen demon men gnawed at the flesh from her broken bones, her eyes still looked to the heavens. He will come, she told herself. He will come. The white rider. But even as her eyes darted hopefully back and forth, she was utterly consumed by flesh, and the last fading thought upon her heart was, He's coming. He's coming. Then all went black, and Evelyn Scarlet LaRue was no more. End of episode one. <laughs>